You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, thank you, Adam and worship team and Clint and Fredo for leading us this morning. Uh, Let me say happy Mother's Day, and uh, we're so glad you could join us this morning. But before we get to Esther, I want to share some exciting uh, news with you. Um, So what has happened over the last eight or nine weeks is something that no one could have planned for and no one uh, wished for. Um, I do want to say thank you for your endurance, your patience, and your continued investment in those around you. Uh, So over the last few weeks, the pastors across all of our campuses uh, have been visiting, sitting down, talking together about a plan uh, that our executive pastor, Fritz Hager, kind of quarterbacked. Well, Tuesday night, we presented that plan to the trustee elders, and they have approved a plan for us to begin in-person worship services on Sunday, May the 24th, and we're super excited about that. But we will also be streaming those services for those that choose to continue to participate at home. So let me kind of give us some details as we're going to be talking about this over the next week. What we did, we put together a two-phase plan. Phase one, Lord willing, will begin on Sunday, May the 24th. And But if we've learned anything over the last eight or nine weeks, it's to remain flexible. So here are the details. On Sunday, May the 24th, we will have two services for in-person worship. Uh, We'll have one at 9, and we will have one at 10.30. But we will also uh, be streaming those online. Well, the first thing we need to talk about is how are we going to be making room? So one of the things we're asking is that everybody would RSVP. Uh, We're going to put an online registration for you to pick which service you'll attend, Uh, We will do that through the website. We will also do that through our text-to-church number. So space will be limited uh, so that we can practice social distancing. And then we will ask each family unit to leave two chairs uh, between the next family. And if we need to add services, uh, we will continue to do that to make room for everyone. So as we are entering, as we are here and leaving, uh, we are going to be asking everybody to be practicing social distancing Uh, with six feet between people. Uh, Mask, they're going to remain optional. Um, If you're comfortable doing that and would like to do that, that is perfectly okay. We will have hand sanitizer uh, at the doors for you to use when you come in and when you come out. Uh, But we also, to keep everyone safe, it's going to be BYOC. So bring your own coffee. So fill your thermos, uh, grab those mugs, and bring that coffee with you. Of what we will be doing to be ready, we will clean before, uh, we will clean during, or between the services and after. Uh, For those that are sick, uh, we would say, would you please participate uh, online uh, that way until you're well. If you're at risk, please consider uh, watching online and participating that way. So we will be having two worship services, but we will not be having nursery or preschool or Bible studies for our elementary youth or adult connections class. And at this time, we are not for sure right now how long we will be in phase one, uh, but we will keep everyone posted. 
And so phase two basically is really kind of things back to the normal uh, that we all experienced before we stopped meeting in person. But I want you to know, if you've got any questions or uh, need some clarity on some things, uh, please reach out to us. We want to answer your questions. You could reach out to any of our elders. Uh, you could contact Clint or myself, and we would be more than happy uh, to visit with you. So this morning, I am excited to start a brand new series through the book of Esther. We're going to spend seven weeks walking through this amazing an exciting book. I mean, it's got everything. It's got an engaging plot. It has intriguing characters. There's suspense. There's betrayal. There's twists and turns all the way through it. And what's interesting is how closely tied to Habakkuk, the series that we just finished. But one of the things that is so interesting is actually what's not in the book. If you've ever heard the book of Esther taught or preached, one of the things that you've probably heard is this, that there is no mention of God in this book. It's the only book out of the 66 that we have in the Bible that does not mention Him. There is no prophetic word. There is no vision. There are no dreams. There's not even a single prayer. There's not any temple or worship. And there's even no miracles. I mean, there's no parting of the waters or manna falling from heaven. No one is saved from hungry lions. Nobody's surviving three days in the belly of a fish. There's no burning bush and there's no fiery furnace. But then I think that kind of poses a question is, then why is this book even in the Bible if there's no mention of God or no powerful miracles, no visions, dreams, or prophetic words? Or better yet, I think a better question to ask is, what role then does this book play in the overarching story of the Bible? Well, to see that, you have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, this is what we hear. It's a promise and it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. From that very moment, Satan has been on a mission to destroy the offspring that will eventually crush his head. In fact, one attempt we see was in Exodus. He began with kind of backbreaking work on the children of Israel and slavery. In fact, the, the newborn males were to be thrown into the Nile River. Pharaoh then tried to trap them at the Red Sea to eliminate God's people. But we know that that attempt failed. Well, we see it again then in the New Testament. When you go all the way to the birth of Christ, Herod ordered that all Jewish males two years and younger were to be killed. In fact, these attempts were to destroy God's people to eliminate them, but they all failed. So what occurs between these two events is the book of Esther. In fact, it's another attempt to destroy God's people. So here's what I want us to understand, that even though the name of God is not mentioned in this book, the finger of God is directing every minute event for His purpose of saving His people. And that is what we will see all through this book. 
But I think one of the things I love about this book so much is this, is that God is going to do some extraordinary things, even though He is not mentioned by name and you never hear from Him. But He works through very ordinary people, through very ordinary events to bring about His purpose. So let me introduce us to kind of the main characters. The first one uh, you will meet is going to be a king. Um, his, his, his name is Ahasuerus. And in the Greek, it's Xerxes. And in fact, you remember back to Habakkuk. So Habakkuk's in Judah. Uh, God is going to bring discipline to them and he raises up the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. Well, then they are destroyed in a promise that God made to Habakkuk and it was through the Persians. It was through who we're talking about. This king was a part of that. But one of the things you'll realize about him is he is the most powerful man in the world, in the most powerful empire at this time. But also about him, he is consumed with everyone noticing him. He wants to flaunt his power and his wealth. And that's King Xerxes of Persia. Well, the next one we'll meet is going to be a queen named Vashti. She is this strong-minded, independent-thinking woman. But she's not actually going to be around long. You'll meet Haman. He's going to be a, the king's officer. He's this wealthy, uh, influential leader in the king's court. In fact, he is next to the highest position next to the king. We're going to meet a man named Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jew that he was taken away. His family was taken away from Judah. And he was grew up, he was raised in Persia. Well, then there will be a young Jewish woman that the book is named after, named Esther. She's an orphaned girl. No mother, no father. And she will be raised by her uncle Mordecai. In fact, what is important to remember about her is all she knows is the Persian Empire. All she knows are their customs, their lifestyle, and their pagan worship. You're never going to see her pray. You're never going to see her worshiping. So today, we're going to get to know four of these a little bit better. And so here is how the book of Esther opens. It opens with a party that is hard for us to imagine. In fact, if you were to go back and to think about uh, Brad Pitt and uh, Jennifer Anderson's million-dollar wedding, well, this, that wedding had nothing on this party. So let's go to Esther chapter 1 and pick up there. He says, Now in the days of Ashurus, or Xerxes, he, who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces, in those days, when King Xerxes sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the providences were before him. And notice, while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness, for many days, 180 days. So here's King Xerxes. It's the third year of his reign. He is new into being king. 
They're in Susa, which is the winter capital of Persia. It is 900 miles east of Jerusalem. So the Jews are far removed from their home. And everyone was invited to this. There are servants, there's nobles, there's governors from all 127 provinces. But notice the purpose of this party. It isn't to acknowledge other people. It isn't to thank them for their service to the kingdom. In verse 4, it was to show His riches and to make everybody see His greatness. That was the purpose. Like I said, it was a party of parties. This party lasted for 160 days. It lasted six months. But Xerxes, he's not done. In fact, in verses 5 through 8, there's another party for seven days. It's an after party. In fact, it goes to such detail of the description of what is going on. It talks about the finest of everything. Beautiful cotton curtains. Fine linen tablecloths. There are couches that are made of gold and silver. Pavement with the finest stones. They brought out gold cups for everyone to drink from. And it says that everyone had their own, their own different, unique cup. And they used the royal wine, the finest in the land. It also tells us that they were to drink under no compulsion. What this meant was usually in a, in a Persian banquet or party, you would keep your eyes on the king. And when they drank, you were able to drink. But if they didn't, you had to refrain. But here, everyone gets to drink freely, as little or as much as they want. Well, in verse 9, we meet the queen, Queen Vashti. She is also holding her own party. But then in verse 10, it says, On the seventh day, so after 180 days of partying, then after another seven days, when the heart of the king was merry with wine. He commanded the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Xerxes to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princesses her, her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. So he wanted everyone to see his power. He wanted everyone to see his wealth. And then... He wants everyone to see the beauty of his wife. And one of the things that's interesting about Persians is they felt that they made better decisions the more they had to drink. Well, here we're going to see that this was not a good decision and Xerxes is mistaken. In verse 12, the queen, she refuses. And this makes Xerxes furious. Then in verses 13 through 15, the king he asked his advisors about, okay, what do I do about this? In the next three verses, 16 to 18, what you read is that their men now are afraid. They're afraid that word is going to get out and all the men are going to lose control of their women. So they have a plan. In verse 19, this is how it reads. If it pleases the king, let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes. So they ask him to create a law so that it may not be repealed. It cannot be reversed. 
that Vashti, the queen, is never again to come before the king and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So Queen Vashti, she is banished and she is stripped of her crown. And then in verses 20 through 22, we read that this decree, this law, was sent out to all 120 provinces in their language, declaring that every man is to be the master of his household. Well, then we get to chapter 2. And I tell you, this is so typical of men. He makes a really bad decision, followed by another bad decision. What happens through time is the king's anger begins to lessen. Well, then he begins missing having a queen. So you see that he's lonely, he is sad, and he's pouting. Well, everybody knows this isn't good, so they need to do everything they can to make the king happy. So his servants come in, and they have a plan to cheer him up. And in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, they send word to all 127 provinces that all the young, beautiful women are to come to the capital, to Susa, so the king can find a new queen. And the king, he loved this idea. Well, then in beginning in verse 5, we read about Mordecai and Esther. He says, now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, he was the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. But he was bringing up Hadash, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So Mordecai was taken away from Judah to Persia, and he's now raising his niece Esther. She had no mother, no father. She was very beautiful. But remember, all she knows is Persia. Well, then in verses 8 and 9, Esther, she goes to the palace with a lot of other ladies. What they're done, they're, they're given makeup. They are given the finest food. It tells us that there were seven women appointed to care for her. Can you imagine how this young orphan girl's life from Judah, a Jew, has drastically I mean, she's gone from just living a very ordinary life, a mundane life compared to living as in the palace. And all of a sudden, here she is with the finest foods, makeup galore, and seven servants to serve her. But there's something about her that no one knows. Look at verse 10. Esther had not made known her people or kindred or her heritage. For Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. So no one knows that she is a Jew. Mordecai told her to keep it a secret. But then in verses 11 through 13, it tells us that a year goes by. 
that there is a 12-month preparation period for these girls. So Mordecai would walk by as often as he could to look in and check to see how Esther was doing. Well, in verse 14, the ladies are then sent to the king. The closest thing we have would be the show Bachelor. It's our modern day Bachelor. These women would come in. If he is pleased with them, he would then give them a rose to invite them back. Well, in verses 15 to 16, it's Esther's turn to go visit the king. In verse 17, then it reads, The king loved Esther more than all the other women. And she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that she so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts. With royal generosity. And that's where we're going to stop in the story of Esther today. But I want to kind of lay the foundation this morning. Remember, even though God is not mentioned anywhere in this book, there are no prayers, there are no visions, there are no dreams, there's no prophetic words, and there is no miracle. The book of Esther is all about one thing. It's all about God's providence. In fact, I believe if there is a truth that believers need to know, it is this one. There's probably not another truth that can bring comfort in times of despair, that can pull you out of dark places, that can give you hope where hope seems to be lost. And it can inspire you to endure and overcome and to stand strong in your faith. It's all about God's providence. What's interesting about this word, it's from the Latin word providentia. The first part of that word pro means ahead of time. Evidentia means to see. You put this together, it means seeing ahead of time. That God sees all events in life ahead of time. And that is what we see unfolding through this book. And for me, here is what is so encouraging about this book. It's all about God's providence. That we will see God direct the lives of very ordinary people. Even down to where they live, who they are with, who they know and what they do for His perfect plan. And what is so encouraging to me is that that is still true today. That God works through ordinary people, planning out where they live, who they know, and what they do for His purposes. So remember this this morning. Though absent from the pages of the book of Esther, God is present and active in every single event and scene. In fact, for us today, you know, there may be times, and maybe you're going through one now where you don't see God. There may be times, and even now, when we don't feel like we hear from God. 
There may be times even now when we can't feel God. But He has promised that He is always with us in working for our good. So take this with you today. God's providence, it is so active and we will see it week after week in the life of Esther. But God is just as active in our lives today. That God directs the lives of very ordinary people, even down to where we are living and who we know and what we do for His perfect. Church, know this God is still working today. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.